Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Hello and welcome to Women Today with me, Beth Espy. And me, Christy Dehaven. Now this week, as part of Mental Health Awareness 2018, we've been talking about a range of issues which really impact on people's well-being and today is going to be a very special programme. Gemma Park contacted us to say she wanted to share her experiences, physical and emotional, following her decision to undergo gender reassignment. Here is Gemma and this is her story. I'm 38 years old and I'm in the middle of coming to the end of going through a gender reassignment pathway. It's been a bit of a struggle and a long time getting here, but my journey is nearly over and I just want to share my experience with the gender community and the island man. And when did this journey start for you, Gemma? The actual medical side of it. It started back in 2013 when I first approached me GP. But presumably you knew long before that that you wanted to go through this. I did from the age of about three or four years old. I knew there was things that didn't match up how I physically appeared and how to live within my biological sex and not my gender identity. And I found that very uncomfortable. And at any point did you try discussing? I mean, obviously three or four is very, very young, but as you got older, did you try discussing that with anybody? I did, but it was just classed as a taboo subject. I did get get swept under the carpet and got told to live, you are what you are and that's how you should live your life. And I'm talking, you know, 30 years ago where things were very, very different. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Because, as you said, 30 years ago, it wasn't something that was discussed at all. And yet now, you know, it's something people talk about quite regularly all the time. It's in the news and there's programmes and everything. So it was a very different time, wasn't it? It certainly was. Just for those who may not be aware, could you just start by just explaining what gender dysphoria is? Dysphoria is, um, it is a Greek word and it means hard to bear, but in medical circles it stands for a state of unease and generalisation of dissatisfaction with life. So what was, your, what was your actual relationship like with your body itself? You're constantly fighting it because you're, how you feel and how you want to behave, you've got to be psychologically conscious of... Because you're biologically male, you have to present yourself and be perceived as male. So you've, you, 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 you tend to focus constantly on that on a daily basis. So your confidence in other areas can decrease where there's a lot of probably transgender people would struggle at school because they're too worried and too concerned of how they're being perceived. So they're, just, they're distracted. And yeah. you were saying that it's when you go through puberty is, is the really, really difficult time. That's something I did find very, very hard is going through puberty where, you know, it's, your testosterone levels are building up and your body's developing into, especially in the male genitalia, is changing. And you're suffering from wet dreams and going through that process, which I found very depressing and quite upsetting. I didn't like that process at all. It was, it drained my confidence out during my teenage years, that did. That something was happening to my body that it shouldn't have been. But it's just something you just couldn't do anything about. Yeah. And that must be very difficult as well in, in school. The physical side of it, when you are surrounded by boys, you know, sort of going to gym or things like that, where, you know, you have to get changed and things. And going through puberty, there's that sort of idea of, of males feeling very proud of being men, becoming men. But you must have felt very, very different in that situation. I, I struggled with a very boisterous um, environment. I, I couldn't act boisterous. I used to shy away from it. I'd rather go and play netball than play rugby. Um, and that's something I I used to shy away from sport for that reason because 
I'd have to buy to be perceived as male and be, and play boy sports, and I I struggle with that, and it's just something I had to put up with, and um, trying to mention this situation to some of the teachers at the school, it, it they just ignored it. They just didn't recognise it at all. So. If we talk a little bit about um, the process you've been through in um, recent years a little bit later, maybe just focus first of all on the emotional side of it because there's a lot you have to go through um, in terms of, of assessment almost before you can even enter this path. So how how did you find that? Back in 2002, me employment then, one of the managers had a, um, a cousin that went through gender reassignments and... They advised me to do as much research in the whole process as much as possible before you started. So I was only 22 at the time. I wanted to um, research and soul search myself before I actually had the courage to go to my GP and start the process. Um, And that was about a 15-year period. I spent researching it over a 15-year period. And what was the reaction from those people around you, from your family? I, I couldn't discuss it with them. They, I, I tried and tried, and they just completely just blanked it out because it was just classed as a taboo subject. It wasn't something they just discussed. I was never allowed to discuss my emotions as a kid, or even up until I've tried recently. It's just something that just gets pushed on one side. It's just, unfortunately, my my parents are from that generation of, you know, you don't wash your linen out in public. That's the men. That's the, how they were brought up and. Still, they're in their they're in their seventies now, but they still have that mentality towards this situation. They've told me they've accepted it, but they haven't set the emotion and the psychological side of it all. So they're sending mixed messages to me at the moment. And so, at any point, yeah. did you just think, actually, I I can't even go through all of this. Maybe I do just need to just to do what what almost you were being told and just accept the way things were. I, th- I what I did I wanted to get life experience behind me because I moved out of home at the age of in 99 at the age of 20 and I wanted to get life experience behind me because I knew that would boost my confidence up more and have, after me, when my daughters were born I approached the process when they were coming towards end of, virtually end of primary school and that's when I come forward to this situation because I knew it was the right time to do it and my daughter was the right time to understand the situation because the younger they are, they can grow up with it, and they've been absolute, an absolute gift. They are so on board; they could sit and do a lecture on it. They fully understand the process of gender reassignment, and at the age they're at thirteen and eleven, it's amazing that the knowledge they know on it and the support package they deliver is is priceless. Was there was their mum always aware that this was something you wanted to do? Not until I told her. It was a bit of a shock to her system, but she is very, very supportive. You know, that she sees me as her best friend and we still have we still live in the same house together and if anything happens between the two of us it'll we'll wait till the kids have gone through their GCSEs and left home if any further development but we've agreed that we'll stay as things are. And because I really don't want the kids' education to be disturbed with it, no. And I think I do see um, Julie as me. She is my best friend, and we just have just as much good a laugh now as we always had. And it's and she she has no issue with it at all. There's no problem there. But me, me sexual orientation. I must admit, me sexual orientation has changed. I'm no longer sexually attracted to 
the girls anymore. And that's with the hormone therapies actually done that. I knew that was going to happen. Not every transgender person, um, sexual orientation does change. It seems to say it all depends on the individual. Yeah. You mentioned the, 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 your daughters having been through primary school and you talk about education. And it, it was in school, wasn't it, that I think you, you first um, mentioned to one of your friends that this was the way you were feeling. How did they react to that? They, um, this goes back to 1991. They'd have seen it as a bit of a joke and just spread it. I, I didn't think they did it intentionally, but he just spread it around the school. Within weeks, it was around the whole, the whole of Bellacamine. And I was actually, for the whole six years I was there, I was penalised for it. And it was, it was a hard time, but it was, it was a different generation. But today, teachers today are trained to deal with this sort of thing as part of their training now. And I've discussed it with both primary school and secondary school that we, both daughters are in. And they've, they've accepted it and they have it fine. I'm not the only person who's, I'm not the only parents that have got children in school who are going through gender reassignment on the island. There is children showing signs in the classrooms that I've been told, and yes, I've, I've um, been in discussion with the Department of Education at Hamilton House, and they they're in the middle of putting a plan into place that I would like to go into schools, into primary schools and high schools, and as a role model and discuss gender reassignment to get the children to understand. If there's children in their class that are showing these signs, I would like to to offer that support and get the schools to understand it. And if that's something that the department would like to do in the future, and it's going to be in their process, I'm quite happy to come forward and be a role model for them. It wouldn't be a problem at all. It was going to make life easier for others in the future. So let's talk a little bit then about what has been involved for you. So this uh, process started, I mean, you, the reaction you got from your GP was hugely positive um, when you... Yeah, that was... Just and that makes must make such a difference to actually feel that there is somebody who's listening to you and wants to support you and help you in what you need to do. It took me six weeks to actually work out what to say to my GP. I sat there and it was just, what do I say to them and how do I approach it? And nerves were kicking in. And I must admit, when I went to the uh, to, to see my GP, I just burst into tears. Before I opened me, I could speak. I just burst into tears. I was in there for twenty five minutes. But it took a lot of courage to actually do it, and it paid off. And I've, I do, I would advise that if you any pay anyone that wants who's want to feel like this and want to go through the gender reassignment program, I would recommend them to stay with the same GP for the whole process. Stick with the same doctor. So, what yeah. happens after that initial conversation? I was referred then to the community mental health team, and I had psychological assessments done on why I wanted to feel less like this but I went there prepared to fully understand it by that time I, I knew the medical process and what it involved I've watched documentaries on TV about the gender clinics and what the process is and what the sex reconstruction went if you want to go through the surgical procedures what they're all about so I was very very prepared and knowledgeable and put myself forward that this is what I really where I wanted to, to the direction I wanted to go. And I was referred then to the Gender Identity Clinic in West London. And they've been that clinic has been absolutely brilliant. The staff down there are lovely. Yeah. 
you know, you were saying to us it's, before, you, you've, you've had to be so brave in this whole process, even to the extent that, you know, it's the first time you'd even left the island to go to somewhere like London and you had to sort of go and do this by yourself. And for, for such a momentous occasion to go to this clinic, to also be faced with that, you've really sort of jumped an awful lot of hurdles to get to this point, haven't you? I must admit, when I was on, on that, I was on the uh, on the bus, the very first bus, number 12, it's a leaves Onken at quarter past five in the morning and I'm sure me, um, me I, I refer to me biological sex as me Siamese twin so I think Gavin died off on that bus journey and as Gemma's more confident she took over and as from heading towards Ronaldsway Airport and that's where I just seemed to get this drive for it was just amazing that it was a at first I felt like a cold shiver and then next minute I just felt so confident and warm and it was amazing that this overdrive just kicked in and that's never gone backwards. It's, it's, I've, I've stayed at that level ever since. And I've my journey into London, I've been travelling to London. I've never travelled more than five miles without being with anybody. <laughs> and I've just done a 360-mile round journey to a part of a country that I've never been before. And it was quite an experience in itself, yeah. And I suppose as well, you, you were saying to us too that one of the reasons why you don't often, you hadn't previously been that far before is because you want to feel like you know exactly where you are, that you're in a safe environment, even when it comes to, for instance, you know, where the toilets are, where you feel safe. Just tell us a little bit about that because that, that's a big thing for you as well. Yeah, that was something I had a problem with was the actual, the use of the... Um, preferred gender facilities like toilets and changing rooms and sporting facilities um, now the equality bill came into law as in August last year that yes the the using of those facilities has been a bit of a problem especially in my workplace it's caused a lot of friction and I agreed to use the disabled toilet until the equalities bill came into, into law in August 2017 and then I started using the facilities the female facilities then because I was legally allowed to but it gets caused that much friction through people's ignorance basically and lack of understanding that some of the comments I've had that you know what's a man walking into the toilets but I, I am no longer male anymore I don't see myself as male I've got a female passport there's lack of understanding I think on the island and that's one of the reasons why I'm here that the the island man's lacking behind in a lot of areas and people need to respect and understand what uh, transgender issues are about and what, why, why people are in this situation and understand the psychological the stress and the anxiety and the can cause mass depression because you have to live as somebody that you were it's like living with your biggest pet hate that's the only way I could describe it to people and we're come. talking about this as part of the mental health awareness week and yeah. I mean, that's key to, to one of the main reasons, Gemma, that you wanted to come in and really just try and support anybody because there, there are people, undoubtedly, living in the Isle of Man, going through very similar, if not exactly the same experience, but just feeling those those same feelings that people just don't understand and, and there's very little compassion shown about who they really are. There is a lot of ignorance and I think that's because the... The vast majority of the population of the island is over a certain age now. There's an age, you know, an ageing population. So there's a lot of stigma and ignorance in old school, you know, taboo subjects. You know, we need to move on and respect these, respect people's feelings on 
gender because it's not just um, transgender people there's gender fluid and there's all there's all sorts and they shouldn't be discriminated against in any shape or form but I'm glad that the Equalities Bill has come in I know it came into law in the United Kingdom in 2010 to get years for the Isle of Man to, or seven years for it to come into law into the end but I'm glad it's here now and it's just getting rolled over into to businesses and in the community itself. You are listening to Women Today and as part of our special Mental Health Awareness Week series of programmes, today we're listening to the story of Gemma Park who's made the decision to undergo gender reassignment. You know, you've said one of the things you really would love to do is go on, um, go into schools and, and be a role model and, you know, just try and support people who maybe going through a similar experience because the mental health repercussions of this can be absolutely huge can't they it it, it can yes the it's a psychological impact because it's the stress anxiety and depression that kicks in and once you can get to you get to a certain stage and there's a barrier and once you've gone past that barrier it's very hard to turn around and boost your confidence up you've gone beyond and that's where a lot of people who got the condition have actually gone and committed suicide because they can't they've got no support package around them and they they, they can't get to the the boost their confidence up and turn their lives around and they and it does upset me to when I when I read these sort of things and it happens to every single it doesn't matter what nationality or culture you come from there's gender issues throughout the world it's interesting yeah. a lot of people again I'm, I'm I'm saying people in the older generation maybe that's an assumption but people um, might say, Gemma, that this didn't happen years ago. You know, if you're talking not even that long ago, so 30, 40 years ago, you didn't really hear about gender, uh, transgender. So people do describe it as a modern phenomenon and that it's almost, I don't know, like a trend almost. What do you say to that sort of assumption? That's, um, it's just based on ignorance, really. It's not, it's, it's not a trend. It's, people have said to me, if, I'm, if, I, if it goes through with the department and they do allow me to come into the schools and if that process goes in I can discuss this as a role model for children that are wanting to go through gender reassignment. I'm not promoting it if people want to see it like that. It's not I'm not there to promote that oh if you you've got an opportunity to change your sex if you want to. It's not it's not a trend. You have a you have a no inside. The feelings are there that you know if that's the right thing for you because all the pressure and anxiety and you you know from a very early age, and you you know that you have to behave opposite. It's it's like having to be forced into. If somebody doesn't like spiders, for instance, and fear of spiders, it's no different than you going going home and you've got six or seven tarantulas crawling around your house, and you have to put up with it. People would die with fright. Well, living with gender dysphoria is exactly the same similar thing. It's like living with your biggest pet hate. And I'm sure nobody would choose to go through the sort of procedures that you actually do have to go through as part of this process. If they, the ones that have show a little of ignorance towards it, they wouldn't understand the process and it's not a it's not a walk in the park. It's very, very complicated and it's very it's a very long process as well and it requires a lot of a lot of patience, I would say, and a lot of a lot of confidence building. And there's a lot of emotion around it because once you start, you I'm two years now on hormone therapy, and I feel the physical and psychological difference. And how I feel right now, it feels normal to feel like this, if that's the right way to describe it. 
because um, I, ne- I had an everyday goes by now, my confidence in- is increasing in my areas that, and that were very, very weak. My life's never been been, been so good. I, f- I feel, it's like winning the lottery. I, f- I feel like I've just won the Euro millions. It's am- I, I can't describe how I feel right now. And how it's, much more have you got to go through? I'm in the fourth and final stage of the gender pathway. I've, um, in the last, I'm in the final process, which is surgical procedures. Yes, and after that, it, that's the process is over, and I can live my life how I should have been assigned to at birth, basically. Yeah, it's getting society's getting to that stage that these issues have been more getting more into the spotlight because they should be drawn to the attention of of the community because there's people out there living lives very very miserably and from my personal experience having to be perceived as something that you know you're not that's something that's very hard to describe to people that the emotions of that of you feel like screaming out going I'm not male but you can't do that because people what people see and how you want to behave are totally different where now how people perceive me and how I feel, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. It's, it's the pieces are slotting in together and that jigsaw is nearly, is nearly complete. Do you know, it's fantastic listening to you because you, you're clearly <laughs> in a really good place because it's all happening for you. You're so excited about this. And like we were saying off air, you know, like a teenager again, because actually <laughs> you're, you're now in this yes, process where you are who you want, who you are. You know, you're able to be who you are. And I, I just I hope you don't mind talking about this, because I think what's incredible is how far you've come, because we, we did have a discussion before you came on air about, you know, you talk about the, the mental health implications and you were at a very low point at one point, weren't you? And if it, if it wasn't for um, a couple of German tourists, you may not have reached this, this point, in fact. This goes back to the mid-1990s, yeah. It was a situation at Port Jack where I was going to... I wasn't prepared to, to jump over. And the place, it's, it is a quite a high drop to the to the cliffs below. And only for uh, German spectators that were over for the TT, they were going, they were making their way back to the Seacat and they had just just straps on their, on their bike and... He happened to um, notice me and said my behaviour was out of the ordinary and I found out that he was a German psychiatrist and the pillion passenger was a paramedic and uh, she, them pair, only for them, I don't think I'd be sat here having this conversation with you today, unfortunately. And it's something that's, to walk past uh, that part of Port Jack now about that fear factor of my feet going cold and I'll probably burst into tears. It took me 21 years it's only now that the hormones are kicking in. I know I'm in heading in the right direction. I can stand there, and I see my spy. I see Gavin as my Siamese twin. He was going to do that, but Gemma wasn't going to do that. So the sensations different. I just see that. I just see Gavin now as my my Siamese brother. And can you look back at photographs of Gavin and sort of feel that detachment it's, now? I just I just see him as. My twin brother, that's how I, I see him, and I think that's the only way I can identify with him. And it hurts me to think how miserable his life was, where I see myself now and how, how my life has improved immensely. It's, I can't really explain how I, how I feel. It's, it's just amazing that it's, it's not, I, the only way I could describe it, it's like living a prison sentence for a crime you didn't commit, and you're trying to prove your innocence. And you keep getting knocked back, but now going to see see the doctors and everything—it's it's like sitting in front of a prison parole board. 
that's the only way I could describe it because you know you're going to get released and the process you're heading in the right direction and I know once I've gone through all the process and surgical procedures that my, my prison sentence is over. In terms of how far you've come in your development, I love the fact you describe it as almost being like a teenager and going through that, that process it again. Is. Are you absolutely convinced that you're going to go for surgery or is the way you are now enough for you? No, so, uh, going through uh, gender reconstruction is the way forward for me, yes. And I'm in that process of heading that direction now. It's, um, it is a quite a complicated surgical procedure and I've had... The complications of what could happen and what the process is all about you know and yes it's a bit of an insight a lot of it I already was aware of and it's just like any operation that you've got to understand the doctors will go through the whole procedure and some of the negative sides of what could happen just to make you aware. Have you got dates for, for already of the surgical procedures do you know when I the haven't, no, going to be? That's something in the process yeah that's. The main aim today really Gemma is to reach out not only to people who may feel that they really do resonate with what you've been talking about but also those people who need to support anybody uh, who's transgender here on the island and I just wonder what you would say to try and and just break down that ignorance that we've been talking about because that is seems to have been the, the main issue that you have faced over the years anyone that's going through the process now I would the advice I would give them is just don't does it just don't keep your process very very private try and be more open because what i would like to set up is a transgender um support group on the island that's something i would like to do and it's i'm started in the process of doing it. it'll take a bit of while to to set it up and, and i've set the website up i'm aware there is patience because of the ignorance of this of the attitude of the island i'm aware that there is transgender people have actually in the last in previous years have actually left the island because they don't feel as if they don't feel welcome here well that that attitude needs needs to change and yes have I got it crossed me to think in those terms that has and I thought well I, I love the Isle of Man and I don't I don't want to leave here I mean my daughters are at school here and they're growing up here and transgender people should feel relaxed and feel welcomed on the islands and that's something that needs to but I would say to people that are wanting to start the process or in the middle of the process that I would advise them to be more open about it don't be frightened to speak out and I think me, I, I work in retail, so I'm working with a high high turnover of staff, and you're dealing with customers, so you're dealing with a lot of people with all sorts of personality issues and that. You can imagine what customers are like, you know. That sort of thing is a massive help because it's a good confidence boost, and I can see why the Department of Health actually recommend it when you want to do these, go through gender reassignment or any of these sort of processes. It is important to be employed, I would say. I can see why they say that. And it does help your process going forward, yes. And speaking of the Department of Health over here, I believe you've been instrumental in sort of helping out with some of the administrative side of this as well, haven't you? It was the actual relationship between the gender clinic and the, de- the community mental health team. It was There was a lack of communication. And one of my appointments, um, they, they used me as a bit of a guinea pig to actually improve the relationship and... I was, I was not aware of that till I actually got to London. The doctors said that they had it as an opportunity to, to improve the relationship with the islands and have more understanding of how the two departments actually work. Now it's been a lot, of, and I got to thank you after the department to the communication now between the, uh, the gender clinic now is massively improved. 
and that's more peace of mind for the patient that they're not going to get thrown from pillar to post and thrown around the system. If it's going to make it easier for other people in the future, I'm, I'm glad that process has now uh, been, been dealt with, yeah. And what about your future plans? I understand um, you might consider the political arena. <laughs> I have, yes. It's um, Once I've, I've completed the uh, transition, I would like to stand for as MHK for Onken in the 2021 general election because I've always wanted to be a politician, but I, I couldn't stand and be perceived as a male role figure because it was something that I just... I didn't have the confidence to do. I couldn't perceive myself being perceived as male in that in that sense I found it too uncomfortable but I would as standing as as a female I would um I'd be more confident and I'd love to to um represent the people of Onken yes and you've always been interested in politics as well I have (laughs) (laughs) and I think that played a bit of me um helping the two departments when I went to to London that time we have my, my political head did play into into that a lot, yes, I'd say that. <laughs> well, Gemma, it has been a real pleasure speaking to you today. And if you could leave us all with one message from everything that you have been through, what would that be? I would say to to the people who are going through gender reassignment or um, thinking of going through, I would advise them to do as much soul and research of the medical process and yourself as much as possible and don't be frightened to, to speak out and I, I do respect some people that want to keep it private but try and be more open because I do find not keeping it as private as such I've um, found that as a good confidence boost and it has helped being you know having to speak out and not be frightened to, to talk about it and to the community as a whole people should not be ignorant towards it and not prepared to see it as a taboo subject or people who want to change their sex that they know that they're funny in the head they shouldn't have that an opinion of it they should respect it and understand that gender reassignment it's it's not a lifestyle choice and it's something that's happened from the very moment of reproduction of fertilization the gender identity of your child is fixed from the very moment of fertilization and that's that's where the the problem lies just explain that a little bit for us because it's something I think a lot of people maybe maybe don't aren't aware it's, of that. Yeah, the um, process of uh, when I'd say an, an egg gets fertilised through the sperm, it's if you're fertilising like it, in my case, it would have been a female egg that's been fertilised, but there's been too much testosterone in the in the red surrounding the womb through the pro, through the development of of the embryo, and it's that default that causes the problem because the identity of the female identity of the child's already been formed. But the body and what happens after that is where the mistake is made. So the gender problem is fixed from the very moment of fertilisation. So it's, it's a perfect example of one of those things said that a lot of people may not know and may be ignorant to, um, simply because it, as we talk about it's a lack of education, isn't it? So with that in mind, are you happy for people to come up and ask you questions? I'm quite happy to, to discuss that with people, yeah, because I'm quite passionate about it and I'm not frightened to speak out. You know, this time last year, I'd be a bit like, very, very nervous about it. But as I progress through, my, my confidence in this area and, and it massively in, increased and supporting others, I would offer that support, yes. And I'm not doing it for personal gain and, you know, it's not something I'm going to become a celebrity of. I don't. That's not the way I look at this. It's just that I don't want... To, 
read, reading the repercussions of what has happened to people that haven't gone through this or was too frightened to do it. It does. It's too upsetting to read sometimes. And people should feel that they're, they're welcome on this island and shouldn't fear that uh, they, they feel as if they, they can't be part of the community. That's something that I think needs the attitude needs to change, yeah, for definite. So what are you most looking forward to doing after you've had the surgery and everything's calmed down as a, a gender-reconstructed woman? <laughs> it's the fact that I know by, I've gone, by the time I've recovered from the surgical procedures and all, hopefully by then there's no complications involved because I'm be happy heading 40 by then. Being able to stand on my 40th birthday in front, naked in front of a mirror and just see myself as physically female as I should have been assigned to at birth and that is just my ultimate, one of the goals from the very beginning, yeah. To actually feel physically female would be the ultimate goal, that that horrible growth thing between my legs is no longer there. It's served as biological purpose, it can go. <laughs> we don't have me saying it like that, yes. <laughs> Well, we really look forward to hearing um, how your plans for the support group go because um, that's something, obviously, that we would really like to, to help you with. Um, but just again, thank you so much for coming in and speaking to us. And I am absolutely sure that there will be people listening and you've probably just made their lives a little bit better just by listening to you. So thank you. You're very, very welcome. That was Gemma Park, who uh, we, we spent considerably longer than an hour with, actually, and she was just brilliant. I mean, she was so composed and so brave and so honest about her story and her journey. It, it really feel, felt like a privilege, actually, to spend that time with her, didn't it? And I think, for me, I felt that I was quite progressive in the way that I think about things, but she really, really changed my view on yeah. so many things that I just, she's just amazing she Me really too. really is it's one of those things that you, you just I, I get it now and I always thought as you said same thing I sort of thought oh yes I understand you know quite open-minded and everything but genuinely I, I do I just get it now having spoken to her and we you know we've we've tried to tackle trans issues on the show before but you know so sort of having spent that time with Gemma and longer I do feel like we, we know a lot more now still not you know sort of 100% well versed on it because we're not going through it ourselves but um yeah I just have absolute grateful thanks to her for sharing that story with us and isn't it incredible how she talks about her previous life and there is such a detachment there and you know there's such a spark about her now she yeah. is just so so happy and it's heartbreaking in some ways it's taken 38 years for her to get to this point um but we really really do wish Gemma well and we're going to keep in touch with her um as the the next few months go along if you have been affected uh, by any of the issues that have been raised during Gemma's interview you can of course speak to your GP in the first instance but there are also websites which might offer some advice some guidance there are forums on there which Gemma said uh, that she found very useful just speaking to people who've been through similar situations can make a tremendous difference but once again we just thank Gemma so so much for getting in touch with us and for sharing that very special story and we will of course keep you posted as to uh, when she is able to organise the school's visits that she's talking about too and uh, huge thanks as well to uh, education who are working with her on that and it's amazing as well to think what differences she's made already especially in sort of the administrative side that people are going through this with the Department of Health so uh, they've all been very supportive and I just also want to say thanks to her family because uh, she, she was saying, Gem was saying that her children listened to those uh, the bits of the interview because of course it was pre-recorded and they were really moved by it and were really 
proud of her for doing this. And I just think that's wonderful. So a big shout out to them as well. And we did talk to Gemma at length. As you can imagine, there's a lot to talk about, uh, not just the emotional side, which has really been focused on this afternoon as part of Mental Health Awareness 2018, but also some of the physical things that she's been through, not necessarily suitable uh, for broadcast at two o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. But very shortly, that podcast of the additional content will be available on the Manx Radio website. You are listening to Women Today. And coming up after the break, we're going to be speaking with Sue Baker OBE about the Time to Change campaign. She is, of course, from the mental health charity Mind. Women Today. You're listening to Women Today on Manx Radio. And this week, we are bringing you a series of special interviews as part of Mental Health Awareness 2018. And as we just heard from Gemma Park, it's very important to speak and talk about what your mental health issues are. It can help a lot of people. And in a bid to tackle the stigma around mental health issues, Ford and Time to Change, which is the anti-stigma and discrimination campaign, which is run by mental health charities Mind and Rethink Mental Illness, have launched a national awareness campaign recently. This is urging people to break that silence on mental health and find a safe space to talk. Men have been identified as a vulnerable demographic for suicide as we've spoken about on the programme before and they are less likely to open up about mental health issues. Only a third of men would talk openly about their feelings and one in five admitted they saw others showing emotions as a sign of weakness. So I caught up with Sue Baker, Director of Time to Change, to talk about the campaign alongside Ford Chairman Andy Barrett who has signed Time to Change's Employers Pledge and has introduced a new support programme for its 15,000 employees including mental health first aid training. You still on for Friday night? Not sure really, mate. Steve, talk to me, mate. Okay. Lots of men still struggle to talk about their mental health. Together, we can help change that. So we've been running the the programme for 10 years in England now, which is uh, aimed at improving the public attitude towards those of us with mental health problems and, and breaking down the stigma that surrounds mental health problems still. Um, And we are a partnership of two big mental health charities, Mind and Rethink Mental Illness. And you say, to break down the stigmas, it seems like we've come a long way in those 10 years. I mean, you're the person, obviously, who'd be able to tell us that because you've been involved for that long. But I know we've still got a long way to come. But have you been sort of encouraged by the strides that we've made so far? Yeah, absolutely. Um, We've been measuring public attitudes in an annual survey that's analysed by the uh, King's College London. So we know that public attitudes have improved by nearly 10% over the last 10 years, 9.6% to be exact. (laughs) Um, And we know that discrimination has dropped. So discrimination that people report from family, from friends, so unfortunately from nearest and dearest, trying to get a job, keep a job going on dates and your social life. So we know that there's been very significant drops in discrimination. So progress made. However, we also know from analysing this data, which we do every year, that women's attitudes are still higher than men's attitudes. Now, both have gone up in parallel, but what I call the kind of tram lines for change. So attitudes have gone up of a working age population, but men still lag behind women. And we also know from data that men are less likely to go to the GP for health issues, including mental health. And we still know the very sad statistics that the suicide rate has not changed. So 6,000 people a year, men and women in Britain, still take their lives. I mean, 6,000 tragic losses of life by one's own hands. And the biggest killer of young men in Britain today is suicide 
beyond road traffic accidents and deaths and anything else. So we have to do something around men's attitudes to mental health and encourage men to come forward for help. Those statistics are absolutely shocking. I know there was that, it has been that incredible installation, the Project 84 mm. installation, wasn't there, with the, the statues mm. on the top of the ITV buildings. And, and that, presumably that sort of helps to a certain extent getting this sort of message out there. There's been a lot of high profile people recently, haven't they, mm. sort of talking about their issues. I know Noel Edmonds and Johnny Wilkinson and people like that mm. as well. Um, but this new new campaign is encouraging people to sort of start where they are, really. And Andy, you've come on board with four. Uh, to collaborate with Time to Change. Just tell us a bit about how the collaboration came together. We have a a large number of employees in the UK and we're absolutely committed to their mental and physical well-being. Uh, We noticed that we had a disparity in the way that we kind of coached them around their physical health versus their mental health and we recognised the gap and we stepped into that space with Time to Change to help us develop what we do um, we've got uh, other resource groups that we're working with in terms of mental health first aid etc so we've got a number of coping strategies training uh, resource groups etc with our own employee base but once we started to embark on this journey um, we recognized that we have huge reach to our five million customers in the uk And we developed the Elephant in the Transit uh, TV campaign, which is all around targeting that key vulnerable group of young men. We know that every day there's around a million journeys of young men in this group that take place in a transit van. So if we can encourage them to make the transit a safe place to talk and from either side to reach out to each other and just check that everything's okay, then we're starting to stimulate that dialogue. And... We're really amplifying the message that that Sue and the Time to Change team have been pushing for over a decade. And what's the response been? Because there is immediately you think of a guy in a transit van and you see someone who isn't necessarily going to open up and is going to be. There's that idea, isn't it, that the men sort of feel the need to present that image of being sort of, you know, the rock and the protector. And they are sort of reluctant to reveal their vulnerable side, which is probably where a lot of this comes from. So, So what has the response been? The, the initial feedback has been phenomenal in terms of the fact that we have stepped into this space, the fact that we've put a, a huge financial commitment behind it, not only making the campaign, but also uh, spending money on TV. Um, and as a corporate, if we can encourage other corporates into this space and and just multiply this message, then uh, then we can extend the reach quite considerably. You know, one in four people are affected it is part of being human, as Sue reminds me uh, throughout the morning. And I think we've got to recognise that and just take this stigma away. And if we can do that, then we've made a huge leap forward. And Sue, I, I can see how there would be something about the idea of sort of being in that enclosed space in the car that, that would make you feel a bit more apt to be able to open up. Can you see how that would be beneficial from, from your point of view? Yes. I mean, in fact, <clears throat> Ford has done research, um, which is being launched today as well, saying that two thirds of people say that it is a it is the right place to have the conversation. And in fact, we found the same when we did uh, audience insight work with parents of, of teenage children, that it's difficult to have those conversations eyeball to eyeball. Um, so it's a it's a safer space and it's less direct. Um, it feels enclosed. It feels a bit more intimate. You're usually spending quite a bit of time, whether you're the parental taxi or whether you're <laughs> in the transit with colleagues. You know, a million transit journeys a year. That's a very significant portion 
not entirely of men, but probably a very large proportion of men that we can reach with this campaign. So absolutely, it's it's the right place to have those conversations. And I love the ad. It just shows just how easy it is. If someone's not quite themselves, it could be a sign of something more significant being wrong. So there's, you know, you don't have to have all the expert language. Just ask them how they are and ask them if they want to have a chat. None of that needs to be mental health language at all. And I noticed as well, just one thing that you, you had on your Twitter, which I thought was very interesting, Sue, where you said that um, you say that Twitter is the place to talk about mental health, which I find mm. fascinating because it is ordinarily seen as quite damaging in that respect. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, so I, I always say that social media is a good and a bad thing. So, you know, we hear a lot about the stresses and strains that social media put, particularly on young people and sort of high expectations of having the perfect life and Instagram. But actually for us, using social media to get the message across, to build up a big follower base, for other people to share those messages and to increase the reach and impact. You know, we see we see a lot of people disclosing their mental health problems. You know, rich and famous, <clears throat> everyday people like us, um, uh, you know, talking about mental health in an everyday way. You know, these don't have to be remarkable conversations. They should be, we, I always say, we'll know where we've when we've achieved... Um, the big challenge on stigma when somebody turns around and says, so what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you say yeah. you've got, and somebody goes, oh, so what? That's, you know, I've heard that before. Then it becomes just part of everyday life. And Andy, obviously this campaign is going to be on our TVs and be able to see it online as well with regards to what you've done with Ford. But do you have any message for employers out there? Because, you know, you yourself obviously um, have uh, introduced your new support programmes for your employees as well. So important, isn't it, for businesses themselves to take a stand on this too? Absolutely. I mean, I can't uh, reinforce it enough. You know, we always check our employees' physical well-being. We never check their mental well-being. Please do reach out, do ask. And if you have any concerns, talk to some experts who are out there, whether it's the local GPs, etc. Do talk to Time to Change. I can't recommend it highly enough. And uh, do please go and look at our ad, which is on YouTube, called The Elephant in the Transit. Tell us where we can actually find out more about the Time to Change programme itself. Yeah, anybody can just put, just Google Time to Change and our website will come up or Mental Health Stigma and it will come up very, you know, at the top of the list. People can see blogs of masses masses of people telling their stories about what they experienced, who they talked to um, and how they got help and how they've recovered. But also have a look on there. It will signpost you onto other organisations that can help you in terms of information and, and helplines. But the most important thing to do is to not be afraid to ask someone how they are. You don't have to have the perfect words, mental health language. Just literally ask someone how they are and actually ask them a second time so that you really mean it. That was Sue Baker, Director of Time to Change, also from the mental health charity Mind, and uh, also Andy Barrett, who's the chairman of Ford. And that commercial is online now. You can see it. It's really quite powerful, even though it's only very brief. So if you just type in elephant in the van, Ford, you will find it and it's well worth a look. Now, this has been a series of special interviews as part of Mental Health Awareness 2018. But as we frequently say here on Women Today, mental health is an issue that needs to be talked about much more often. So we're going to be bringing you more interviews in the next week or so, all focused on the issue of mental health. And as ever, we'd love to hear from you. If there's a story that you'd like to tell us, if you'd like to share, uh, do get in touch. You can email womentoday at manxradio.com. 
And thank you very much for listening today. A huge thanks as well to uh, our guest, Gemma Park, who's just an extraordinary and really inspiring human. So thanks to Gemma and also to her family. On tomorrow's programme... Women Today. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.